0: chapter nine of the absentee by maria edgeworth this librivox recording is in the public domain lord colambre had waited with great impatience for an answer to the letter of inquiry which he had written about miss nugent's mother a letter from lady clonbrony arrived he opened it with the greatest eagerness passed over rheumatism warm weather warm bath buxton balls miss broadhurst your friend sir arthur beryl very assiduous the name of grace nugent he found at last and read as follows her mother's maiden name was saint omar and there was a faux pas certainly she was i am told for it was before my time Educated at a convent abroad, and there was an affair with the Captain Reynolds, a young officer, which her friends were obliged to hush up. She brought an infant to England with her, and took the name of Reynolds, but none of that family would acknowledge her, and she lived in great obscurity till your Uncle Nugent saw, fell in love with her, and, knowing her whole history, married her he adopted the child gave her his name and after some years the whole story was forgotten nothing could be more disadvantageous to grace than to have it revived this is the reason we kept it secret lord colambre tore the letter to bits from the perturbation which lady dashfort saw in his countenance she guessed the nature of the letter which he had been reading and for the arrival of which he had been so impatient it has worked said she to herself pour le coup philippe je te tiens lord colambre appeared this day more sensible than he had ever yet seemed to the charms of the fair isabel many a tennis-ball and many a heart is caught at the rebound said lady dashfort isabel now is your time and so it was or so perhaps it would have been but for a circumstance which her ladyship with all her genius for intrigue had never taken into her consideration count o'halloran came to return the visit which had been paid to him and in the course of conversation he spoke of the officers who had been introduced to him and told lady dashfort that he had heard a report which shocked him much he hoped it could not be true that one of these officers had introduced his mistress as his wife to lady oranmore who lived in the neighborhood this officer it was said had let lady oranmore send her carriage for this woman and that she had dined at oranmore with her ladyship and her daughters but i cannot believe it i cannot believe it to be possible that any gentleman that any officer could do such a thing said the count and is this all? exclaimed Lady Dashfort. Is this all the terrible affair, my good count, which has brought your face to this prodigious length? The count looked at Lady Dashfort with astonishment. Such a look of virtuous indignation, continued she, did I never behold on or off the stage. Forgive me for laughing, count, but believe me, comedy goes through the world better than tragedy, and take it all in all, does rather less mischief as to the thing in question i know nothing about it i dare say it is not true but now suppose it was it is only a silly quiz of a raw young officer upon a brutish old dowager i know nothing about it for my part but after all what irreparable mischief has been done laugh at the thing and then it is a jest a bad one perhaps but still only a jest and there's an end of it but take it seriously and there's no knowing where it might end in half a dozen duels maybe of that madam said the count lady oranmore's prudence and presence of mind have prevented all danger her ladyship would not understand the insult she said or she acted as if she said je ne veux rien voir rien écouter rien savoir lady oranmore is one of the most respectable count i beg your pardon interrupted lady dashfort but i must tell you that your favorite lady oranmore has behaved very ill to me purposely omitted to invite isabel to her ball offended and insulted me her praises therefore cannot be the most agreeable subject of conversation you can choose for my amusement and as to the rest you who have such variety and so much politeness will i am sure have the goodness to indulge my caprice in this instance i shall obey your ladyship and be silent whatever pleasure it might give me to speak on that subject said the count and i trust lady dashfort will reward me by the assurance that however playfully she may have just now spoken she seriously disapproves and is shocked oh shocked shocked to death if that will satisfy you my dear count the count obviously was not satisfied he had civil as well as military courage and his sense of right and wrong could stand against the raillery and ridicule of a fine lady the conversation ended lady dashfort thought it would have no further consequences and she did not regret the loss of a man like count o'halloran who lived retired in his castle and who could not have any influence upon the opinion of the fashionable world however upon turning from the count to lord colambre who she thought had been occupied with lady isabel and to whom she imagined all this dispute was uninteresting she perceived by his countenance that she had made a great mistake still she trusted that her power over lord colambre was sufficient easily to efface whatever unfavourable impression this conversation had made upon his mind he had no personal interest in the affair and she had generally found that people are easily satisfied about any wrong or insult public or private in which they have no immediate concern but all the charms of her conversation were now tried in vain to reclaim him from the reverie into which he had fallen his friend sir james Brooks, parting advice occurred to our hero his eyes began to open to lady dashfort's character and he was from this moment freed from her power lady isabel however had taken no part in all this she was blameless and independently of her mother and in pretended opposition of sentiment she might have continued to retain the influence she had gained over lord but that a slight accident revealed to him her real disposition it happened on the evening of this day that lady isabel came into the library with one of the young ladies of the house talking very eagerly without perceiving lord colambre who was sitting in one of the recesses reading my dear creature you are quite mistaken said lady isabel he was never a favorite of mine i always detested him i only flirted with him to plague his wife oh that wife my dear elizabeth i do hate cried she clasping her hands and expressing hatred with all her soul and with all her strength i detest that lady de cressy to such a degree that to purchase the pleasure of making her feel the pangs of jealousy for one hour look i would this moment lay down this finger and let it be cut off the face the whole figure of lady isabel at this moment appeared to lord colambre suddenly metamorphosed instead of the soft gentle amiable female all sweet charity and tender sympathy formed to love and to be loved he beheld one possessed and convulsed by an evil spirit her beauty if beauty it could be called the beauty of a fiend some ejaculation which she unconsciously uttered made lady isabel start she saw him saw the expression of his countenance and knew that all was over lord colambre to the utter astonishment and disappointment of lady dashford and to the still greater mortification of lady isabel announced this night that it was necessary he should immediately pursue his tour in ireland we pass over all the castles in the air which the young ladies of the family had built and which now fell to the ground we pass all the civil speeches of lord and lady kilpatrick all the vehement remonstrances of lady dashfort and the vain sighs of lady isabel to the last moment lady dashfort said he will not go but he went and when he was gone lady dashfort exclaimed that man has escaped from me and after a pause turning to her daughter she in the most taunting and contemptuous terms reproached her as the cause of this failure concluding by a declaration that she must in future manage her own affairs and had best settle her mind to marry heathcock since everyone else was too wise to think of her lady isabel of course retorted but we leave this amiable mother and daughter to recriminate in appropriate terms and we follow our hero rejoiced that he has been disentangled from their snares those who have never been in similar peril will wonder much that he did not escape sooner those who have ever been in like danger will wonder more that he escaped at all those who are best acquainted with the heart or imagination of man will be most ready to acknowledge that the combined charms of wit beauty and flattery may for a time suspend the action of right reason in the mind of the greatest philosopher or operate against the resolutions of the greatest of heroes lord colambre pursued his way to castle halloran desirous before he quitted this part of the country to take leave of the count who had shown him much civility and for whose honorable conduct and generous character he had conceived a high esteem which no little peculiarities of antiquated dress or manner could diminish indeed the old-fashioned politeness of what was formerly called a well-bred gentleman pleased him better than the indolent or insolent selfishness of modern men of the ton perhaps notwithstanding our hero's determination to turn his mind from everything connected with the idea of miss nugent some latent curiosity about the burial-place of the nugents might have operated to make him call upon the count in this hope he was disappointed for a cross-miller to whom the abbey-ground was let on which the burial-place was found had taken it into his head to refuse admittance and none could enter his ground count o'halloran was much pleased by lord colambre's visit the very day of lord colambre's arrival at halloran castle the count was going to Oranmore. he was dressed and his carriage was waiting therefore lord colambre begged that he might not detain him and the count requested his lordship to accompany him let me have the honour of introducing you my lord to a family with whom i am persuaded you will be pleased by whom you will be appreciated and at whose house you will have an opportunity of seeing the best manner of living of the irish nobility lord colambre accepted the invitation and was introduced at oranmore the dignified appearance and respectable character of lady orenmore the charming unaffected manners of her daughters the air of domestic happiness and comfort in her family the becoming magnificence free from ostentation in her whole establishment the respect and affection with which she was treated by all who approached her delighted and touched lord Colambre. The more, perhaps, because he had heard this family so unjustly abused, and because he saw Lady Oranmore and her daughter in immediate contrast to Lady Dashfort and Lady Isabel. A little circumstance which occurred during this visit increased his interest for the family. When Lady de Cressy's little boys came in after dinner, one of them was playing with a seal which had just been torn from a letter the child showed it to lord colambre and asked him to read the motto the motto was deeds not words his friend sir james Brooks, motto and his arms lord colambre eagerly inquired if this family was acquainted with sir james and he soon perceived that they were not only acquainted with him but that they were particularly interested about him lady orinmore's second daughter lady harriet appeared particularly pleased by the manner in which lord colambre spoke of sir james and the child who had now established himself on his lordship's knee turned round and whispered in his ear twas aunt harriet gave me the seal sir james is to be married to aunt harriet and then he will be my uncle some of the principal gentry of this part of the country happened to dine at oranmore one of the days lord colambre was there he was surprised at the discovery that there were so many agreeable well-informed and well-bred people of whom while he was at kilpatrickstown he had seen nothing he now discerned how far he had been deceived by lady dashfort both the count and lord and lady oranmore who were warmly attached to their country exhorted him to make himself amends for the time he had lost by seeing with his own eyes and judging with his own understanding of the country and its own inhabitants during the remainder of the time he was to stay in ireland the higher classes in most countries they observed were generally similar but in the lower class he would find many characteristic differences when he first came to ireland he had been very eager to go and see his father's estate and to judge of the conduct of his agents and the condition of his tenantry but this eagerness had subsided and the design had almost faded from his mind whilst under the influence of lady dashfort's misrepresentations a mistake relative to some remittance from his banker in dublin obliged him to delay his journey a few days and during that time lord and lady Orinmore showed him the neat cottages the well-attended schools in their neighborhood they showed him not only what could be done but what had been done by the influence of great proprietors residing on their own estates and encouraging the people by judicious kindness he saw he acknowledged the truth of this but it did not come home to his feelings now as it would have done a little while ago his views and plans were altered he had looked forward to the idea of marrying and settling in ireland and then everything in the country was interesting to him but since he had forbidden himself to think of a union with miss nugent his mind had lost its object and its spring he was not sufficiently calm to think of the public good his thoughts were absorbed by his private concern he knew and repeated to himself that he ought to visit his own and his father's estates and to see the condition of his tenantry he desired to fulfil his duties but they ceased to appear to him easy and pleasurable for hope and love no longer brightened his prospects that he might see and hear more than he could as heir apparent to the estate he sent his servant to dublin to wait for him there he travelled incognito wrapped himself in a shabby greatcoat and took the name of evans he arrived at a village or as it was called a town which bore the name of colambre he was agreeably surprised by the air of neatness and finish in the houses and in the street which had a nicely swept paved footway he slept at a small but excellent inn excellent perhaps because it was small and proportioned to the situation and business of the place good supper good bed good attendance nothing out of repair no things pressed into services for what they were never intended by nature or art none of what are vulgarly called makeshifts no chambermaid slipshod or waiter smelling of whisky but all tight and right and everybody doing their own business and doing it as if it was their everyday occupation not as if it was done by particular desire for first or last time this season the landlord came in at supper to inquire whether anything was wanted Lord Colambre took this opportunity of entering into conversation with him, and asked him to whom the town belonged, and who were the proprietors of the neighboring estates. The town belongs to an absentee lord, one Lord Clonbrony, who lives always beyond the seas in London, and never seen the town, since it was a town to call a town. And does the land in the neighborhood belong to this Lord Clonbrony? it does sir he's a great proprietor but knows nothing of his property nor of us never set foot among us to my knowledge since i was as high as the table he might as well be a west india planter and we negroes for anything he knows to the contrary has no more care nor thought about us than if he were in jamaica or the other world shame for him but there's too many to keep him in countenance lord colambre asked him what wine he could have and then inquired who managed the estate for this absentee mr burke sir and i don't know why god was so kind to give so good an agent to an absentee like lord except it was for the sake of us who is under him and knows the blessin and is thankful for the same very good cutlets said lord colambre i am happy to hear it sir they have a right to be good, for Mrs. Burke sent her own cook to teach my wife to dress cutlets. So the agent is a good agent, is he? He is, thanks be to heaven, and that's what few can boast, especially when the landlords live in over the seas. We have the luck to have got a good agent over us in Mr. Burke, who is a right-bred gentleman, a snug little property of his own, honestly made, with the goodwill and good wishes and respect of all. Does he live in the neighbourhood? Just convenient. At the end of the town in the house on the hill as you passed, sir, to the left, with the trees about it, all of his plantin'. Finely grown too, for there's a blessin' on all he does, and he has done a deal. There's salad, sir, if you are partial to it. Very fine lettuce. Mrs. Burke sent us the plants herself. Excellent salad. So this Mr Burke has done a great deal, has he? in what way in every way sir sure it was not it he that had improved and fostered and made the town of colambre no thanks to the proprietor nor to the young man whose name it bears neither have you any porter pray sir we have sir as good i hope as you drink in london for it's the same you get there i understand from cork and i have some of my own brewing which they say you could not tell the difference between it and cork quality if you'd be pleased to try harry the corkscrew the porter of his own brewing was pronounced to be extremely good and the landlord observed it was mr burke encouraged him to learn to brew and lent him his own brewer for a time to teach him your mr burke i find is apropos to porter apropos to salad apropos to cutlets apropos to everything said lord colambre smiling he seems to be a non nonpareil of an agent i suppose you are a great favorite of his and you do what you please with him oh no sir i could not say that mr burke does not have favorites anyway but according to my deserts i trust i stand well enough with him for in truth he is a right good agent lord colambre still pressed for particulars he was an englishman and a stranger he said and did not exactly know what was meant in ireland by a good agent Why, he is the man that will encourage the improven tenant and show no favor or affection but justice which comes even to all and does best for all in the long run and residin' always in the country like mr burke and understandin' country business and goin' about continually among the tenantry he knows when to press for the rent and when to leave the money to lay out upon the land and accordin as they would want it can give a tenant a help or a check properly then no duty work called for no presents nor glove money nor sealin money even taken or offered no underhand hints about proposals when land would be out of lease but a considerable preference if deserved to the old tenant and if not a fair advertisement, and the best offer and tenant accepted, no screwin o the land to the highest penny, just to please the head landlord for the minute, and ruin him at the end by the tenant's rackin the land, and runnin off with the year's rent, nor no bargains to his own relations or friends did mr Burke ever give or grant, but all fair between landlord and tenant, and that's the thing that will last, and that's what I call the good agent lord colambre poured out a glass of wine and begged the innkeeper to drink the good agent's health in which he was heartily pledged i thank your honour mr burke's health and long may he live over and amongst us he saved me from drink and ruin when i was once inclined to it and made a man of me and all my family the particulars we cannot stay to detail this grateful man however took pleasure in sounding the praises of his benefactor and in raising him in the opinion of the traveller as you've time and are curious about such things sir perhaps you'd walk up to the school that mrs burke has for the poor children and look at the market-house and see how clean he takes a pride to keep the town and any house in the town from the priest to the parsons that you'd go into will give you the same character as i do of mr burke from the brogue to the boot all speak the same of him and can say no other god forever bless and keep him over us upon making further inquiries everything the innkeeper had said was confirmed by different inhabitants of the village lord colambre conversed with the shopkeepers with the cottagers and without making any alarming inquiries he obtained all the information he wanted he went to the village school a pretty cheerful house with a neat garden and a playgreen met mrs burke introduced himself to her as a traveller the school was shown to him it was just what it ought to be neither too much nor too little had been attempted there was neither too much interference nor too little attention nothing for exhibition care to teach well without any vain attempt to teach in a wonderfully short time all that experience proves to be useful in both dr bell's and mr lancaster's modes of teaching mrs burke had adopted leaving it to graceless zealots to fight about the rest that no attempts at proselytism had been made and that no illiberal distinctions had been made in this school lord colambre was convinced in the best manner possible by seeing the children of protestants and catholics sitting on the same benches learning from the same books and speaking to one another with the same cordial familiarity mrs burke was an unaffected sensible woman free from all party prejudices and without ostentation desirous and capable of doing good lord colambre was much pleased with her and very glad that she invited him to dinner mr burke did not come in till late for he had been detained portioning out some meadows which were of great consequence to the inhabitants of the town he brought home to dine with him the clergyman and the priest of the parish both of whom he had taken successful pains to accommodate with the land which suited their respective convenience the good terms on which they seemed to be with each other and with him appeared to lord colambre to do honour to mr burke all the favourable accounts his lordship had received of this gentleman were confirmed by what he saw and heard After the clergyman and priest had taken leave, upon Lord Colambre's expressing some surprise mixed with satisfaction at seeing the harmony which subsisted between them, Mr. Burke assured him that this was the same in many parts of Ireland. He observed that as the suspicion of ill will never fails to produce it, so he had often found that taking it for granted that no ill will exists has the most conciliating effect he said that to please opposite parties he used no arts but he tried to make all his neighbors live comfortably together by making them acquainted with each other's good qualities by giving them opportunities of meeting sociably and from time to time of doing each other little services and good offices fortunately he had so much to do he said that he had no time for controversy he was a plain man made it a rule not to meddle with speculative points and to avoid all irritating discussions he was not to rule the country but to live in it and make others live as happily as he could having nothing to conceal in his character opinions or circumstances mr burke was perfectly open and unreserved in his manner and conversation freely answered all the traveller's inquiries and took pains to show him everything he desired to see lord colambre said he had thoughts of settling in ireland and declared with truth that he had not seen any part of the country he should like better to live in than this neighbourhood He went over most of the estate with Mr. Burke, and had ample opportunities of convincing himself that this gentleman was, indeed, as the innkeeper had described him, a right good gentleman, and a right good agent. He paid Mr. Burke some just compliments on the state of the tenantry, and the neat and flourishing appearance of the town of Colambre. "'What pleasure it will give the proprietor when he sees all you have done,' said Lord Colambre oh sir don't speak of it that breaks my heart he never has shown the least interest in anything i have done he is quite dissatisfied with me because i have not ruined his tenantry by forcing them to pay more than the land is worth because i have not squeezed money from them by fining down rents and-but all this as an englishman sir must be unintelligible to you the end of the matter is that attached as i am to this place and the people about me and as i hope the tenantry are to me i fear i shall be obliged to give up the agency give up the agency how so you must not cried lord colambre and for the moment he forgot himself but mr burke took this only for an expression of good will i must i am afraid continued he my employer lord clonbrony is displeased with me continual calls for money come upon me from england and complaints of my slow remittances perhaps lord clonbrony is in embarrassed circumstances said lord colambre i never speak of my employer's affairs sir replied mr burke now for the first time assuming an air of reserve i beg pardon sir i seem to have asked an indiscreet question mr burke was silent lest my reserve should give you a false impression i will add sir resumed mr burke that i really am not acquainted with the state of his lordship's affairs in general i know only what belongs to the estate under my own management the principal part of his lordship's property the clonbruny estate is under another agent mr repeated lord colambre what sort of person is he but i may take it for granted that it cannot fall to the lot of one and the same absentee to have two such agents as mr burke mr burke bowed and seemed pleased by the compliment which he knew he deserved but not a word did he say of mr and lord colambre afraid of betraying himself by some other indiscreet question changed the conversation that very night the post brought a letter to mr burke from lord clonbrony which mr burke gave to his wife as soon as he had read it saying see the reward of all my services mrs burke glanced her eye over the letter and being extremely fond of her husband and sensible of his deserving far different treatment burst into indignant exclamations see the reward of all your services indeed what an unreasonable ungrateful man so this is the thanks for all you have done for lord clonbrony he does not know what i have done my dear he never has seen what i have done more shame for him he never, i suppose looks over his accounts or understands them more shame for him he listens to foolish reports or misrepresentations perhaps he is at a distance and cannot find out the truth more shame for him take it quietly my dear we have the comfort of a good conscience the agency may be taken from me by this lord but the sense of having done my duty, no lord or man upon earth can give or take away. "'Such a letter,' said Mrs. Burke, taking it up again. "'Not even the civility to write with his own hand, only his signature to the scrawl. "'Looks as if it was written by a drunken man. Does not it, Mr. Evans?' said she, showing the letter to Lord Colambre, who immediately recognized the writing of Sir Terence O'Fay it does not look like the hand of a gentleman indeed said lord colambre it has lord clonbrony's own signature let it be what it will said mr burke looking closely at it lord clonbrony's own writing the signature is i am clear of that lord clonbrony's son was clear of it also but he took care not to give any opinion on that point oh pray read it sir read it said mrs burke pleased by his tone of indignation read it pray a gentleman may write a bad hand but no gentleman could write such a letter as that to mr burke pray read it sir you who have seen something of what mr burke has done for the town of colambre and what he has made of the tenantry and the estate of lord Clonbrony. Lord Colambre read and was convinced that his father had never written or read the letter, but had signed it, trusting to Sir Terence O'Fay's having expressed his sentiments properly. Sir, as i have no further occasion for your services you will take notice that i hereby request you will forthwith hand over on or before the first of november next your accounts with the balance due of the hanging gale which i understand is more than ought to be at this season to nicholas o'garrity esq college green dublin who in future will act as agent and shall get by post immediately a power of attorney for the same entitling him to receive and manage the colambre as well as the clonbrony estate for sir your obedient humble servant clonbrony grosvenor square though misrepresentation caprice or interest might have induced lord clonbrony to desire to change his agent yet lord colambre knew that his father never could have announced his wishes in such a style and as he returned the letter to mrs burke he repeated he was convinced that it was impossible that any nobleman could have written such a letter that it must have been written by some inferior person and that his lordship had signed it without reading it my dear i'm sorry you showed that letter to mr evans said mr burke i don't like to expose lord clonbrony he is a well-meaning gentleman misled by ignorant or designin people at all events it is not for us to expose him he has exposed himself said mrs burke and the world should know it he was very kind to me when i was a young man said mr burke we must not forget that now because we are angry my love why no my love to be sure we should not but who could have recollected it just at this minute but yourself and now sir turning to lord colambre you see what kind of a man this is now is it not difficult for me to bear patiently to see him ill-treated not only difficult but impossible i should think madam said lord colambre i know even i who am a stranger cannot help feeling for both of you as you must see i do and half the world who don't know him continued mrs burke when they hear that lord clonbrony's agency is taken from him will think perhaps that he is to blame no madam said lord colambre that you need not fear mr burke may safely trust to his character from what i have within these two days seen and heard i am convinced that such is the respect he has deserved and acquired that no blame can touch him sir i thank you said mrs burke the tears coming into her eyes you can judge you do him justice but there are so many who don't know him and who will decide without knowing any of the facts that my dear happens about everything to everybody said mr burke but we must have patience time sets all judgments right sooner or later but the sooner the better said mrs burke mr evans i hope you will be so kind if ever you hear this business talked of mr evans lives in wales my dear but he is travelling through ireland my dear and he said he should return to dublin and you know there he certainly will hear it talked of and i hope he will do me the favour to state what he has seen and knows to be the truth be assured that i will do mr burke justice as far as it is in my power said lord colambre restraining himself much that he might not say more than became his assumed character he took leave of this worthy family that night and early the next morning departed ah thought he as he drove away from this well-regulated and flourishing place how happy i might be settled here with such a wife as her of whom i must think no more he pursued his way to clonbrony his father's other estate which was at a considerable distance from colambre he was resolved to know what kind of agent mr nicholas garaghty might be who was to supersede mr burke and by power of attorney to be immediately entitled to receive and manage the colambre as well as the clonbrony estate chapter nine